0: Please turn in your Bibles to Luke 23, beginning at verse 26, we will read. Luke 23, beginning at verse 26 through 43. And as they led him away, they laid hold upon one Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And there followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and your children. For behold, the days are coming in which they shall say, Blessed are the barren.'" and the wombs that never bear, and the paps that never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right and one on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding And the rulers also with them, derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be the Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, And Latin and Hebrew, this is the King of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I cannot help but feel when we come to this passage. Beginning in the garden, up to the crucifixion, in the whole of scriptures, all of it being holy, yet here we are truly on hallowed ground. As we are reading about the accomplishment of the salvation, which makes it possible that you and I can be here this very day the cross is an act of war. While it is an act of war by the devil against Christ, it was also an act of war by Christ against the devil. The proof in this text is that while Christ seemed conquered and every circumstance was against him, he still takes one of the devil's own and Christ makes him to be his own. It is one of the most memorable conversions in the New Testament. It is not outwardly spectacular like the conversion of Paul, but it is no less miraculous. For you have here a man. He is hours, maybe moments away from dropping down into hell. A hardened and impenitent man. And yet his own mediator just off to the side prays and he is saved to go into glory. We will cover the setting of this narrative, Christ's humiliation and triumph, Christ's words on the cross, Father, forgive them. The similarity of the two thieves, the repentance Of the thief, the gracious salvation of the thief, and exhortations following from what is preached. The setting it is the hour of darkness. The devil, who all throughout Christ's ministry for the previous three years had been under restraints, not able to do much. Now in the Father's good providence he is unleashed upon the Son of God. And all the fury of hell is now coming upon him beginning with that gang that came to arrest him like a criminal in the garden. And now just as with Job when God had said to him do with him as you will only spare his life he has said to the devil, you will not even spare his life. The devil assaults Christ in many ways. The rulers under Satan's influence, which prior had plotted in secret, now openly accuse. The Romans who had left him alone, they crucify and they mock him. The disciples who stood boldly with him in these three years, they scatter like cowards and they flee and one even denies him. Satan enters this hypocritical betrayer who was, who all the time acted as Christ's friend and now sells him for a meager 30 pieces of silver. Satan fights against the Lord and his anointed through an unjust trial. Christ was first tried by the church courts. Satan induces false witnesses into the church courts, and no one can make a charge to stick. Christ had committed no sin, and yet the church courts still condemn him. Satan condemns Christ by the civil courts. Pilate openly affirms that he found no wickedness in Christ, and yet he condemns him to the worst form of Roman punishment for the worst of the worst, the lowest of the lowest, crucifixion. And so the devil, seeming to have a grip on both the church And the state of that time has incited both of them in conspiracy against the Lord and His Anointed. It is also the hour of darkness because it is the worst part of the humiliation of Christ. Christ, ever since coming from heaven and becoming a man subject to hunger, thirst, and tiredness, just as we are. That was an extraordinary act of humiliation already, but now the humiliation is blacker and lower. For now, judicially, he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God the sinless Son of God becomes an abomination in the courtroom of God. Nature itself is against Christ in this moment. The ground quakes. The sky blackens for six hours. All to pronounce that this sinner on the cross is receiving all that is deserved for the sins that are thrown upon him. And it appears in this humiliation that the Father is against him. Christ cries on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Never in all eternity did Christ ever see the Father angry with him. Nothing but perfect, loving, shining communion from all of eternity past up until that moment. But now, the sun is in outer darkness amongst those wailing and gnashing their teeth. Christ's friends have left him. The church is against him. The government is against him. Nature is against him. And the Father is against him. And to magnify the blackness of this humiliation, Christ's enemies triumph over him. The devil makes total sport of the whole thing. He mocks through the rulers of the Jews. Oh, This is our great miracle worker. The man who raised others from the dead. Well, will you look at that? He's on the cross. Come on, save yourself. You saved others. You've raised Lazarus, haven't you? Why don't you do something for yourself? After all, the true Messiah would never be conquered. Those civilized Romans those cultured, moral, educated men, the upstanding examples of a just and equitable judicial system in the old world and heirs of Greek philosophy and of strong ethics. They become utter barbarians and they too mock Christ. They gamble for his robe torment him with an offering of vinegar and say, aren't you the king of the Jews? Save yourself. They taunt him with their political triumph over the Jews, with a sign nailed over his head, this is the king of the Jews, to be read in Greek, Hebrew, and Latin, as if to say to him and to all the Jewish people, don't you Jews forget who is ruling Over who here? And even the two thieves mock him. The two hardened men who did deserve to be on that cross, they too join in the railing. But those Roman soldiers who taunted Christ with that title, King of the Jews, spoke better than they knew, because they were right to call him king. They do not realize it. But the king of Jews is riding out in battle in his splendor at might. He is at war and he is winning the war. And Christ is going to prove it by taking a man captive even while he is hanging on the cross. Christ's words on the cross. Father, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. What would you do if you were hanging on the cross, falsely accused, false witnesses conjured up? We would probably mock and revile in return how we would be tempted to storm, to curse, and to rail, and to get in those verbal digs and to pierce her ears with as sharp of words as we can muster. I felt that temptation. Certainly you have too. It is not native to us to take anything lying down, any offense or injury. We desire vengeance, don't we? Yet that is not what Christ does. It takes anything for a man on the cross to say anything because you cannot exhale. It is almost impossible. So for Christ to say anything on that cross, he must position himself and endure a sudden surge of even worse agony. But he does it just so that he may utter this phrase. What comes from his lips? Mockings, cursings, railings? No. He hoists him up and he endures a surge of agony and says, Father... Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgiveness. A man on the cross asking for forgiveness for his tormentors. Could you have wronged any man more than our Lord Jesus Christ? He was not guilty. The Jews who were entrusted with the oracles of God, they should have known it those upstanding, morally educated Romans. They should have known it. And Pilate even acknowledged it. Christ says, they know not what they do. What is he asking? As Matthew Henry sums it up, Father, treat it like a sin of ignorance. Yes, they are my murderers in this point. But you know these people they were probably just put up to it by their leadership. Please, Father, pass over it. Treat it as a sin of ignorance which would be forgiven in the Tanakh. There is a high-minded forgiveness that you could give someone where the pronouncement of forgiveness is just a kind of virtue signaling as if to say, oh, you people have wronged me and just done such a terrible injustice to me, but I forgive you and I'm going to let it go. There is no grandstanding in this pronouncement of forgiveness. Jesus Christ really wants these murderers to be forgiven of their sins. He truly wants it. Why this prayer? What are Christ's offices? Among them, he is priest. And so, he is acting as a priest even while he is on the cross. He is in that holy of holies on the cross and he is making his request to the Father that they will, because of his blood, be forgiven of their sins. He is also acting as king. He is king over all. And he has authority to pardon. And so here, he is moving it into effect. And when a king issues pardon, it's all gone. There is no record of it. Some crimes will stay on a man's record as long as he lives but in Christ's courtroom, when he declares a pardon, if it was committed yesterday, it is gone forever. He is now, Psalm 68, taking captivity captive and receiving gifts for men. And this prayer would be answered, Father, forgive them. It is why... 50 days later at Pentecost, there would be a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit and 3,000 would be converted in a single moment. It is in imitation of this prayer that Stephen had prayed, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Christ praying, Father, forgive them. And who is forgiven because of that prayer? A persecutor and a blasphemer named Paul, who would travel far more widely and broadly than any of the apostles. It is because of this prayer that for 2,000 years there will be a church steadily expanding all over the world. The Gentiles, you and me, would be brought in. It is why periodically we have baptisms in the Lord's Supper because this prayer has been answered and it is the reason that one thief was converted. And now, as the devil has mocked Christ, Christ will now mock the devil by snatching away in the midst of his torment one of the devil's own prized children, an insurrectionist, a thief, a murderer, a member of organized crime, and take him from the kingdom of the devil and make him an heir of the kingdom of heaven. The thief. We know that there were two thieves. (coughs) And let me say from the outset, for this section, I owe great debt to J.C. Ryle in his commentary on Luke, and I commend it to you for your own reading and edification But let's notice these two thieves. What do they have in common? They are both criminals. There is no difference between these two men. Your Bible says malefactor, some modern translations will say thieves, but the original Greek word, lestai, means something like an insurrectionist, or a rebel, someone that will get involved in a radical political group and commit violence in order to perpetrate a purpose. And they will take lives if it is necessary. This is the kind of man. These two men are, tre- are traitors to the Roman Empire. Both are receiving the same punishment. Both are being crucified. Both are the same distance from Christ. And have the same opportunity. Both. Mock Christ. Matthew 27.44. The thieves also. Which were crucified with him. Cast the same. In his teeth. Meaning. They too. Mocked him. They both. Knew. Who Christ was. Both men. Were deeply. Hardened. Both know they are guilty, as the words of one of the thieves will demonstrate. Two men, equally hardened, equally guilty, equally impenitent, equally condemned, and yet one is saved and the other is left to his sin and indeed salvation is by grace alone, by the sovereign election of God. Jacob was loved, and Esau hated, chosen while still in the womb before neither had done anything either good or bad. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. But more than just the decree of God, the efficient cause of those words made powerful by the Holy Spirit, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What if you were the thief on the cross, and you have just heard this, I am sure that both of these thieves, as far as they could, they were probably mocking and bantering back and forth with the soldiers as they were able to. Because heart and consciences do not feel remorse and punishment as the lashes come and as the nails come, as the scourging comes, they just want to lash out and justify themselves in their hearts for what has come. But this thief sees Christ doing none of those things, and he has to stop and think. Only a righteous man can be like this. He knew Christ was sinless. Christ's name was known abroad. No one can accuse him or find wrongdoing in him. He's saying, this man must be everything that I thought he was or they have said he was. But he's asking forgiveness for these who have crucified him. Murderers, perhaps I too, can be forgiven of my own sins. But forgiven? The father just forget about it? Pass it over. The law says that if anyone commits a crime, he must be punished, but just passed over. And so maybe he's thinking to himself, can it really be for me? Could it really be for me as well? And certainly he is willing to believe. There is the repentance of this thief. Somewhere in the midst of this, there is a heart change. Because he calls out to his other friend, do you not fear God? Seeing as we have the same punishment. Something has changed here. Now he has begun to justify God. Now he has begun to see for real That the Romans were right to crucify him and God is truly against him through the civil government. That burden, that fiery conscience inside of him. Now he says, yes, God has sent this so that I may throw myself upon his mercy. He realizes it is a just and holy God with whom he has to do. And he rebukes his friend for not seeing the same. He is now concerned for the salvation of his friend. Yet another mark that he has truly been converted here. And then he justifies Christ and he says, this man has done nothing wrong. Marks of repentance in him. And then, in a society where you would acknowledge that Caesar is Lord, he acknowledges that Christ is Lord when he says Lord remember me when you come into your kingdom he acknowledges that Christ is his master he offers a very simple prayer remember me when you come into your kingdom it is an almost shy prayer like the woman who was bleeding for 12 years, she's thinking, maybe if I could just touch the hem of his garment, and that will be enough. I don't need anything spectacular. I just need healing. Just something. And so in a way, he feels as though he's catching at it. So all he could say is, Lord, remember me. And that was enough. Just like that. He is a forgiven man. It is not strong and powerful faith. It is faith pure and simple. Because what is the outcome? Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And just like that, there are two righteous men on the cross that day let us notice the gracious nature of the salvation notice what the thief could not do the thief had no opportunity for ordinances anymore he could not go to the synagogue and hear the scriptures being read he could not go and offer a sacrifice to a priest anymore Or with a priest. He could not engage in long extended prayers. If he had never been circumcised. The day for that was past. He is who he is. The thief had no time. For specific acts of repentance. He could not go. And make public confession of his sins. He could not go and meet to those whom he had wronged. He could not go and make restitution and pay back anything that he had stolen. That day was past. He had no time to prove his sincerity. He would be dead within hours. All he could possibly do was hope that Christ would be merciful to him. Although there were no righteous acts that he could do. And truly, it came to pass in his life, as Paul says in Romans 4 He who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Within a few hours, Christ would cry with a loud voice, Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. And he gives up the ghost. And the human soul of Christ is transported to heaven. And within hours, or moments later, the thief would expire as well. And like Lazarus, he would be carried by angels into the presence of Christ. Only moments later, following behind his mediator. And there he has been for 2,000 years now, a fully righteous and justified man, no longer an insurrectionist, no longer a murderer. Because Christ became the rebel, that the rebel might become the righteousness of God. And so let me make this application right now. Is there anyone here you have not yet trusted on Christ? I don't know hearts, and I make no presumptions about the soul of anyone. But there is a temptation to say that I am fine because I am in covenant, I was baptized, I do these good deeds, I do this and I do that, I profess all the right things, I hold all the right doctrines, but that is no guarantee. That does not in itself mean that you know Him. And if you are clutching to any works or any doctrine or your church membership or anything, you let it go right now and you trust in Christ alone as this thief did. For any other gospel Paul promises you is going to damn you. But this gospel, grace alone, faith alone, apart from the works of the law, he who believes not, I'm sorry, he who works not, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. His faith, her faith, is counted as righteousness. Believe today if you have not. There was one other thief that day. What happened to him? Scripture doesn't say we are left in total, complete silence about him. But I believe that most say He died in his sins. Same opportunity. Same chance. Why this thief? Why not the other? Who knows? That is in the decree of God. But you take a warning today. You don't know when that day is going to be. Same privileges. Do not ever say to yourself, I'm going to wait to the last moment because it could come that in the very last moment that you are as hardened as this man, but you have the promise that if you will believe, you will not be condemned. Learn from this. And brothers and sisters, those who truly know the Lord, you are not trusting in your works. You're not trusting to membership or anything else. You may look at yourself and say, do I, re- how do I know that I'm saved? My faith is so weak. My graces are so weak. Sometimes I wonder if they're even there. Well, did this man have strong graces? He did not. But he had faith and that was all. And he was united with Christ. And that was all that it took for him to be saved and to go and be with his savior. You don't need anything more than he does. Once you are united with Christ by faith, all you need to do is wait to die. That is it. You need nothing else to complete your justification. How do I know that my sins can be forgiven? For they know not what they do. Someone m- might still say, How could I say that my sins? our sins of ignorance that Christ was praying for. Forgive who? The Jews who knew the scriptures, who were foretold how to know the Messiah, who heard his teachings, who witnessed his miracles. The ones who could find no fault or wrongdoing in him and yet for the pride and love of sin, crucified the sinless one. They know not what they do. The ones who were entrusted with the oracles of God, who were teachers of the law, instructors of righteousness, guides to the blind, a light to those in darkness, they know not what they do. Father, treat these Jews as though they've committed a sin of ignorance. Ignorance. And you might say, okay, I can understand that for the common Jew. But what about those scribes? What about those Pharisees? What about those who knew so much? Those who had had the whole Torah, the whole Old Testament memorized. Could they be forgiven? I mean, we are in new covenant times where we know so much more and we have such greater light. Can I be sure that my sins are sins of ignorance? Let us see. Even those Pharisees. Yes. 1 Timothy 1.13. Paul. Writes. Although I was formerly a blasphemer. A persecutor. And an insolent man. But I obtained Mercy because I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. Ignorance, Philippians 3, what did Paul say about himself? Circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, Concerning the righteousness which is in the law blameless this one in ignorance and in unbelief Galatians 2 the one persecuting the church beyond measure and trying to destroy it the one who advanced in Judaism beyond all of his contemporaries so extremely zealous for the traditions of his fathers the same one who consented to the stoning of Stephen acted ignorantly and in unbelief. The same one who cursed and railed believers hunted them in extreme rage and so tormented them that he forced some of them to blaspheme against their profession. Yes, this Paul acted in ignorance and in unbelief. Father, Forgive Paul, for he knows not what he does. Do your sins come up to that, brothers and sisters? I dare you to say that they do, because they certainly don't. Every sin will be forgiven. If Paul can come and trust in Christ and be saved, despite all the sins against light, So may you, because Christ desires, even by this prayer, that you will be forgiven and treated as one who has acted ignorantly and in unbelief. Last application Forgive one another's sins. Do you have a grudge? Bitterness? Is there a deep seated anger? against somebody in your life, a conflict that you are not resolving, has someone hurt you and wounded you, no matter how grievous, are you still holding on to it? Are you still feeding off of it? How long has it been? I encourage you, I mean, if your conscience is saying, there is somebody, listen to the voice of conscience. I encourage you. Think. Who was more wronged than Christ? Who wronged him more than the Jews and the Romans? And when the Holy Spirit had been poured out, who wronged him more than Paul the Apostle? Go to the cross. Sit under its shade. Behold your Savior suffering for you. And praying this for you. And stay there. And meditate. And do not move from that place. Until you say. How can I possibly hold a grudge. When my own savior. Whom I. Have sent to that cross. Is willing to treat me. As though I knew not what I did. Brothers and sisters, Ephesians 4, forgiving others as Christ has forgiven you. Let us pray. Our Father, blessed be your name for the forgiveness of Christ. Truly astounding and wondrous that we could so wrong him and we would still be forgiven so much your grace and your love be upon this congregation. Grant to everyone by your Holy Spirit that they have a fresh new view of the Savior, dearer communion with him. And Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, though we also take encouragement that your forgiveness of us will encourage us to forgive others as well. Bless the rest of this Lord's Day, the rest of this worship, all the activities and the fellowship. And we ask that by the power of the Spirit, each one of us who is a believer will walk away more holy than when we came in. And if any does not truly know you, that they will hear the words of Christ, forgive them, and that they too will be saved. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.